0: So, welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I am joined today by a phenomenal guest. She is a powerhouse of an incredible businesswoman. Uh, she started her early career at Iberia Airlines and then shifted over to sort of travel retail for a, a relatively short period, but then jumped back into aviation where. She subsequently became the Managing Director of First Choice Airlines, Managing Director of Thomson Airlines, and then really started to climb the ladder even further to become the Chief Operating Officer of TUI Airlines, where there was a fleet of 162 aircraft, and then into her last executive role, she was a chief operating officer of EasyJet. And in that role, she was responsible for a cost base of £4 billion and and 10,000 employees on her team. Uh, she's also a non-exec director at Bovis Homes. And as if that wasn't enough, um, this phenomena was I awarded an OBE, for her services to aviation in 2013. She was inducted into the British Travel Industry Hall of Fame, has an honorary doctorate of science for outstanding services to aviation and a doctorate of science from um, Queens University in Belfast for economics. So I am delighted to welcome the amazing Chris Brown. (laughs) <laughs> hello Jeanette I'm actually that's quite embarrassing when you hear that all of that played back to you <laughs> I didn't recognize myself actually <laughs> but thank you thank you very much <laughs> well that's a typical response from women isn't it we don't always yes, recognize it. our achievements but honestly Chris I really appreciate you being on the podcast um I know the listeners are going to get so much out of this and I uh, I know you're a busy lady so I really appreciate you taking the time honestly it's an absolute pleasure Fabulous. So what I thought would be a good place to start, Chris, if you don't mind, um, why don't you just take us through your journey, you know, kind of where life started for you, where you are now, and, and pick out, you know, sort of some of the key highlights along the way. That'd be fabulous if you don't mind. Oh,
1: uh, how, how, how long have you got, Jeanette? This could this could take quite some time. <laughs> I've got lots of time, Chris. <laughs> I suppose you can you can tell from from the accent. I mean, despite having lived out of Ireland all my life. Um most sorry, but despite I've lived out of Ireland more most of my life, um, I still have a very strong, you know, Northern Irish accent, and that's where where I hail from. Uh, and I suppose you never really do forget your roots, do you? Um, I mean, I'm one of seven children, you know, your typical Irish Catholic family way back then. Um, and I suppose you know when, when I think back, uh, we had we didn't have much money at all, um, and there was no ambition either. There was, in fact, the, the one thing that uh, I always remember is nothing was really expected of us at all at all nothing i mean just well in those days because it was the height of the troubles um it was just you know obviously to kind of survive to, to not get blown up or shot or something i mean i don't mean to over dramatize it it wasn't that bad but certainly you know it had its challenges um so for me i think i recognized at a very very early stage that i that i didn't want to get out sadly you know because I just knew instinctively or hoped that there was a better a better way of life and it didn't seem that didn't seem to be forthcoming in 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 northern ireland at the time and um when people ask me where i come from sometimes i hesitate to say because if you check it out uh, someone once told me that straban where i'm from has been for the for a town of its size has been blown up more times than any other town in the western world since the second world war and i'm going like Oh my word! I didn't re- I didn't realize that. Um, so you can you can pick you can kind of picture picture the background, you know. Um, so I realized I think pretty early on um, that education was was my was my way out. I mean, there was no bank of, of mum and dad for me. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, whilst we didn't have money, we had an awful lot of love. And I think looking back, that's like you, you can can't buy what what we had. So we're very fortunate. And I think the other thing as well, one thing that the time did have was a tremendous sense of community. And I don't think I have found that anywhere since. Um, it's really, really strong in terms of looking out and helping for each other and, and, and doing what the right thing was. Um, so I was very, like, if I really go far back, uh, I was lucky enough to, to pass the 11 plus, that's how old I am, and, and get into grammar school. And I will never forget uh, the teachers saying to me, um, oh my word, you've passed, you surprised us. And I went, <laughs> Wow. And actually, what was worse, well, sorry, let me go back a bit. My father opened the envelope and said, oh my God, you passed. And I thought, well, he's surprised that I passed it. And then what was worse, I went to, the, the back, went to school and the teacher said gosh, you surprised if you passed this. And I think, I didn't realize at the time, but at the young age of 11, I said, I'm going to show you, right? Yeah. So um, I was really lucky to do, to do well at school. We had a great, uh, wasn't, it wasn't private, but it was a, a common grammar school uh fantastic friends. Uh, in fact there are seven of us who went to primary school together and we still get together every year. That shows you how how strong a community it was. So um I wanted then to make sure that I got a decent degree. So hopefully that would actually help me you know, get a decent job. So I really wanted to go to Queens in, in Belfast and study study modern languages, uh which is what I did. Um so I spent, I think it was four or five years there, uh, majoring in, in, in Spanish. Um, and then of course I got my, my two one, which was, you know, miraculous for me, but it was great. And I thought, well, what do I do with this now? So I thought, I don't, everyone said to me, oh, you're gonna have to teach or, or lecture or maybe do translation, you know, in, in Brussels or something, the European Union. And I went, oh, really? They're just not for me, like, you know, I no disrespect to those professions, but it was just a bit boring for me. So I thought, right, what will I do? So I did a postgrad then in, in, in Glasgow in travel and tourism. And of course that then led me just in, into the, the, you know, the career and the, and, the, and the profession that I loved. So I remember leaving and that's where I made, I was going to call him my current husband. He's the only one i ever I've ever had, by the <laughs> way, but that's when Alistair and I met, um, uh, gosh, an awful long time ago. So like a lot of people at the time, I, uh, up sticks to, to London, very well educated and total, but totally and utterly broke to start looking for a job. Um, I pounded the streets, it was pre internet days, you know, you couldn't actually email CVs or something. So I literally had to write them out and send them and then pound the streets of London looking for a job. And I was lucky enough to start off at a very small Spanish travel agency because what I wanted to do was not waste the languages that I had learned and, and, and use them in, 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 in the career. And I was, I was really lucky. I started off as a Spanish tour operator, so that meant they always, always used my Spanish. And that brought me into contact with, 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 with Iberia. And I, mem- I remember, I think I was earning 6,500 pounds. And because I was doing a lot of work with Iberia, the then general manager said to me, would you come and work for us? And I think he offered me 16,500 pounds. And I'm going like, oh my word, you know, <laughs> I hit the lottery. I used to cycle in and out of, out of, out of from Camden to London i sorry from Camden into central London because that I couldn't afford the tube fare, you know, so, um, it was, it was great to get that job. However, it wasn't without its challenges either. Um, you know, I remember, uh, my boss at the time, it wasn't my immediate boss that gave me a job. It was his, it was his boss. So I suppose that, that, that should have set the alarm bells ringing. And my immediate boss sat me down, uh, in the office in just off Piccadilly in London and, uh, I always remember the psychology of it because he was sitting on quite a high chair and he'd put me on the other side of his desk on a, on a quite a low one. So he was like looking looking down at me. Um and he said, Look yeah, he said, Okay, he said, You're, you're okay. He said, You yeah, but in my opinion, women should be pregnant, barefoot, and in the kitchen. But you seem relatively intelligent, you can wear your shoes. I remember that. Oh, I mean that's thirty odd word. years ago. And I thought, Okay, right. Well, cause it was three years later, you know, I was wearing his, I, I had his job. So and a couple of years after that of the top job in the company. So I just thought that'll just that'll just go to show you. But I do remember when I was offered the general manager because I had, you know, I spent 10 years there, I had probably had a promotion every every couple of years, which 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 was great. Um, but when I met the president of IBRA, he was over, He literally just taken on the job. And he took a huge risk because he put me in charge of the whole the whole of the operation. The whole of, uh, and that had never happened in the history of, of Iberia at the time. Um, because usually that job was the, you know, it was the privilege of, you know, male, somebody from Madrid, usually, somebody Spanish, um, with a family and the whole family came over to, to you know, to, to live in London to run the organization. So for me to do that was, it was a bit of a, you know, wow, bold move. And I was summoned to Madrid, and I remember thinking, oh, my word, you really don't want this job. It's too scary. You know, what makes you think that a wee girl from Sturban could end up doing a big job like this? And I literally, my knees were knocking. There is no, I'll not tell you a word of a lie. And then I thought, you know, come on, catch a grip. You know, you're, you've got a good fighting spirit. You know, what's the worst can happen? The worst that can happen here is that you don't do a good job, you know, but you accept it and kind of move on, you know, get over your, your, your pride. And I thought, I can't, I can't, I can't not give this a go, you know? Uh, and of course that I did. And then I think five years later I moved on because my job was done there and I always promised myself, you know, that if, a, if a package became more important than, than the job itself and the job satisfaction and the value that I could bring and the changes I could make, uh, I thought it was, it, it was time to move on. So that's when uh, a headhunter said to me "Look, you're in danger of being seen as being uh, aviation only, and more specifically, Iberia only. And that's not a great position to be in. And I thought, ooh. And of course, at the time, there wasn't that much more available in the London area. And part of the package I mean, was a penthouse pad and Knightsbridge, you see. So that was kind of hard to give up. You know, I tried. <laughs> I tried that. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, I always promised myself that I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be sort of impressed with the trappings. And I thought, oh gosh, girl, you know, this is, this was rather <laughs> special. So, um, he knew obviously that Alistair and I were, and Alistair, I always, I lived in London, Alistair lived in Scotland. So job came up there and, uh, I decided right for, uh, to give it a go. Yeah. You know? So, you know, packed up, left the, left Knightsbridge, cried my eyes out the whole way up to, to on the flight to, to Glasgow thinking, Oh my God, what am I, what am I doing here? This is, this is really scary. Um, and moved from the penthouse pad in Nightsbridge to a bachelor pad in the south side of Glasgow, which was a bit alarming at, at the time. <laughs> and then when I looked at travel retailing as it was at, at the time, and gosh, uh, like I was looking at the, the, the P&L and the balance sheet and I thought, surely there must be some zeros mo- missing off here. You know, it was like it was <laughs> so difficult a business. And the timing was, was when I think back, was, was, was all wrong. Because it was at the time that tour operators were buying retailers. So there was a lot of consolidation going on um so we when we looked at it we didn't really have much choice but uh to sell the business and we did to to thomas cook at the time i mean don't get me wrong fabulous team learned an awful lot again but probably my biggest lesson there was you shouldn't let your heart grow your head when it comes to making decisions about about your career or your business but i don't regret it don't don't get me wrong so we sold the business to to thomas cook and i suppose then that was and at that time you know cooks was a a powerful brand you know together one of the best in, in, in the uk it's sad to really hear see what's happened you know but they wanted me they wanted me to join but it was my when i went to peterborough's where that was their head office i thought oh gosh this culture is not not for me it was very dare i say it male um it was quite bureaucratic uh an awful lot of consultants there at the time and i thought i just this just isn't me. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't enjoy that. Um, and it was probably the first lesson, you know, of people over, over, over brands and fitting in. And at the same time, uh, Peter Long, the chief executive of, of First Choice at the time, that who whom I knew uh, again through the contacts at Iberia, said, um, "Fancy having dinner some night?" So we went out for dinner. He flew up, went out for dinner, and he said, "Would you come work for us?" And I said, uh, "Doing what?" He said, "I don't know, but we'll find out. You know, we'll find you something." And I went, "Wow." And I remember coming back coming back home that night and uh, Alistair said to me, he said, well, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to go for it. And he goes, doing no, what? I said, I'm not quite sure yet. I said, but I really like the feel and the culture of these people. And I'm sure we'll be able to work something out and gosh, probably one of the best decisions I ever, ever made. So that was again in, in distribution at that time. And then, so I was setting up all of the, the call centers and the direct stuff way back, way back then. And then just after, mm, Nine Eleven got the call to say, uh, "How do you would you fancy running the airline in Manchester?" Um And I went immediately. I thought, Abs- I mean, I I could I could I not say that." So that meant a move to to Manchester, which I loved actually. Uh, great bunch of people. It was then called Air Two Thousand. But the very first thing I remember being said to me as I walked into the reception at eight o'clock on the Monday morning again quite quite in, in trepidation quite nervous you know taking over on this big airline rule and uh there's a guy standing there and he said oh my word speaking to the receptionist he said oh my word have you heard they're sending a woman to run the airline what will they think up next and i went hello i said here i said i'm not I'm woman you know so he was <laughs> somewhat embarrassed like but i we ended up getting on getting on famously well um and that was a a tremendous tremendous opportunity. It was really difficult, as you can remember, as you can imagine after nine eleven and in fact, Iberia got the top job just after uh, the gulf war uh, then um, first choice airways stroke air two thousand and that was as i said just after nine eleven so on both occasions it was huge huge challenges, huge difficulties a lot of you know, a lot of difficult decisions to make and to make them in a in pretty in pretty quick time. But once you've been through things like that, uh, you certainly know how to how to tackle big problems. Again, you, you don't hesitate twice, you know, knowing the levers that you have to pull. So um, I often remember the time when was, right, get rid of the aircraft. We have to downsize. We don't know how long this is going to last for. And I remember um, looking at things and thinking, wow there's nowhere for these aircraft to go at the minute. And if I look at um, the biggest complaints that I get from customers, it had to be on the long haul product that we offered. Um, and it was about, it was boredom, it was entertainment and, and seed pitch. Um, and I thought, well, maybe, maybe there is an opportunity here. So I um, spoke to uh, the suppliers at the time and um, they said, right, we're looking at we could actually be getting rid of the fleet, get pulling out of this altogether. Um, and they said, Oh gosh, you know, let's let's see what we can do. Um, and one company which shall remain totally and utterly anonymous, it, but they were arrogant beyond belief, assumed that we were going to choose their product. And that's another thing that I cannot stand, not having that choice and people not taking my our business seriously. So I thought there has to be an alternative to this. So um at the time, the 767, the Boeing 767 aircraft that we had was, well, was no longer being manufactured. So we really were a bit stuck and sat down with uh, the guys of the Boeing company. And then they said, well, what if we helped you refurbish your aircraft to give them an extended lifespan? Because we're working on this other thing called the, the 7E7, as it was back then. And I went, let's have a chat. So... Instead of downsizing the fleet, instead of getting rid of them all together, we actually managed to get practically—well, I, I was going to say two for the price of one—power um, by the hour for a lot of the aircraft, so we only pay for them when, we were, when you were flying them. It was a phenomenal opportunity. Now we could have taken just taking that money to the bottom line, but you know, I said, look, come on, customers really dislike the fact that the—I sh- the, mean—charter long-haul was notorious for being dis- un- totally utterly uncomfortable. So we refurbished the entire fleet um, with a lot of help from, from, from suppliers. Um, and that then revolutionized the, the, the product, uh, gave us the ability to, to grow it. Um, so instead of actually totally downsizing, we actually seized the opportunity of the time and, and grew it. Now, don't get me wrong, everything that could have gone wrong with the refurbishing of that aircraft went wrong. The IFE blew up, uh, the seats were too heavy um i have never i do not have a technical bone in my body but you ask me anything you want about a 767 and i can probably still still remember <laughs> so lo and behold when we did get it uh it gave the company such a tremendous competitive advantage you know because then everyone else everyone else followed and that gave us the confidence to then be the first in the in europe to buy the 787 dreamliner now had we not taken that risk way back with you know in the 76s we wouldn't have been able to i don't think we would have been brave enough to buy such a brand new technology, uh, aircraft. And as I was thinking about it, it was, it was scary because the history of the aircraft is well known now. And I was living at, you know, day and night I had a season ticket to Seattle because it had so many issues. <laughs> and one thing that you'll never, when you're running an, an airline, one thing you never forget, um, is, is the fact that ultimately the buck stops with you when it comes to aviation safety, you know, it is, it is as serious as, as it gets. So there were quite a few sleepless nights, thinking, "Oh my word, you know, is this aircraft going to be going to be safe? Can I can I put you know my my loved ones you know can I trust the millions of customers that fly with us every year on, on board?" And of course, you know, when I first picked the aircraft, we flew over and picked the aircraft up. I mean, I think there were ten thousand people at Manchester. You know, they had the police had to come out to you know patrol the roads because people were coming to see this to see this aircraft landing. And you know, after, what was it, a 10-hour flight? Yeah, a 10-hour flight, we arrived like two minutes early. We had to circle over the Shetland Islands because I mean, the, the aircraft was just so, so fast. Um, and it, it, was, it was a tremendous success and still is, you know, still is to, to this day. So that was a wonderful opportunity. Um, and then, of course, we got the, I was asked, having done all of the great stuff at, at First Choice Airways, we then uh, merged with, with TUI. Uh, or thompson in the uk and again that was that was quite a scary time um and of course i was asked to run both airlines and then um and then merge them to, you know to form what is 2A today um now that took us just short of of nine months i think we we, we saved something like over a hundred over 100 million in in, in in synergies and building the two businesses together but you know i was always always as passionate when we were bringing the two airlines together to put as much importance on the culture of the New York organisation as indeed on the safe flying of the aircraft, that was how important it was to me. Because, um, you know, because the First Choice air- Aircraft um, uniform was pi- actually, was this colour pink when I think about it, it was really bold. <laughs> and everybody said, wow, that's a very brave move. But I mean, when our crew went on through the airport, my word, did they stand out, you know, it was <laughs> like serious, serious glam. <sighs> and and the Thompson uh, um, uniform was, bl- was blue so the, they talked about are you pink or blue you know and I thought no I I don't I don't want that you know I want to create something that's really powerful that's that brings both you know the heritage of both businesses together Um, and I'm really glad that, that we did actually because you know it was it was a tremendous success I mean most uh, mergers in aviation just don't work because they're so difficult and I'm really proud to say that's probably has well, unashamedly one of the most successful that there's that, that there has ever been that was great it was great to have that scene. and in fact it happened on the 1st of may you know at midnight and it was the whole, the whole thing we were all setting tenterhooks because there were 16, 16 decisions to make to merge the two airlines and i'm sad to have counted every one of them you know um and of course uh, it, it was non-event absolute total and utter non-event And that and i would just just going to show that the, all the preparation and all the hard work of the entire team really literally did pay off. Um, and then I that a while after that, then I was asked if I would uh, run the five airlines that, that TUI had across Europe. Um, cause of the, this was pre-Brexit. I'm like, that, so the idea had, had been to combine them all cause you didn't need five of everything, you know, when obviously mm. uh, cost is such a, such an issue in, in, in aviation and in, and in travel generally. And um, so that, did that for for a few years but um after a while it just became too difficult to affect change um and i suppose whilst i knew it wasn't going to be easy the cultural differences in the the five different countries you you were just it was like almost pushing water uphill um the 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 changes were identified the business plan was all there but people just didn't want to do it um Mm. And then the merger happened with TUI um, in, in Germany, so 2 ag and TUI eu plc merged, so the balance of power more or less moved to, moved to Germany. And, you know, I just didn't feel that I fitted in anymore. So I think it was time, you know, time for me to move on. And, you know, the way I looked at it, it was 17 years and it was fantastic, you know, overall in the various, you know, challenges and guises and the people that I worked with were, were fantastic. So I thought I can't if I can't change things, if I can't fix it, and I can't, if I can't even make a difference anymore, then it's time for me to, to you know to, to pack it in. So I took a really what I thought was a brave decision to to leave. And I remember Alistair saying to me, Why why don't you just stay? I mean, you're very well paid, you've got a great job. Why why do you want to leave? I said, because I it's just not me anymore. I don't fit anywhere. I'm not saying that I'm right and they're wrong. It was just Going in a different mm-hmm. different direction, um, and it was r- quite scary actually, because you know I'd never not worked. You know, <laughs> worked all through. You know, oh, I had summer jobs. Uh, you know, worked from the first day I left university. as You know, and I thought, oh wow, this is you know this is a step, really a big step in, into the unknown. And I remember the first day that I thought I was. Oh, co- oh sorry, the company were brilliant with me actually. And so they said, no no no, we 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 need we're going to put you on garden leaf for a year. No, well I've never had that. So, so let's let's have a, let's. Have a, how does that happen? So I remember um, on the first Monday of being uh, unemployed, it was about eleven o'clock, and I thought, "Oh, you know, not only have I everything done for the day, I've everything done for the week. Like what 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 a normal what a normal people do." And apparently, I was unbearable for about six months. You know, I just couldn't couldn't stand still at all. So uh, before then, I got used to it, but. Actually, during that time, no sooner had uh, the news went out that I was moving on, than uh, Carolyn McCall, the chief executive of EasyJet, call, contacted me, and we had done some work together on um, cancer cancer uh, research uh, for breakthrough breast cancer, actually. Uh, so I knew from that from that point of view. But also, um, when Carolyn was given the job at uh, at EasyJet, uh, there was a reporter that called me and asked me for an opinion. And, and I said, uh, gosh, why was was she not, she's not from, from aviation was, was it? And I thought, well, so, and he goes, well, you know, she's got a lot of critics and I thought, well, you know, something, I hope she proves them wrong and left it at that. And he, he printed that. And to be fair, she called me up and said, thanks very much, you know, for, for your comments, you know? So just after she heard that I was leaving, she said, What are you gonna do? And I said, Look, I really don't know if I've got one other big job left in me or I go down the you know the non exec route. I actually have no idea. Uh, but uh, for once in my life I'm just gonna, you know, wait and see what happens and you know not give myself a hard time about the whole thing. Although deep down inside I was I was quite terrified. I thought, Oof, is this me? Am I finished? you know, career wise. And she said, Well you would you become a non exec with us? And I felt like saying I w- where where where'd I sign? You know, I'll start, kind of start tomorrow. Uh, so that was great. So I was a non-exec at, at EasyJet and chair of the safety committee for about 10 months before then I was asked to um, to become the CEO. You know, so um, again, the timing was tough there because that's just when the UK decided to, or that announced it was leaving, uh, the, leaving Europe. So Brexit became, it loomed, loomed large with us and the share price fell something like, 20 odd percent overnight, so it was like a really pretty, pretty tough time for for the business, but um, loved it. Uh, so it was CEO there for for a few years until until just the, until last last summer. And that, that's that's probably taking me far too long.
0: No, honestly, that's about it. That Chris, there is so much gold in all of that. I mean, your success, your your kind of you know career you've had. But what strikes me is just you are essentially you through all of that, you know, and, and, you know, your description of kind of your upbringing, your family, you know, one of seven, uh, you know, for me, I think the the absolute genius for you is not only the successes that you've had, which have come from, you know, hard work, determination, you know, and all of those great qualities that you have. But throughout all of that, you've never lost sight of kind of who you are as an, as an individual. Um, and for me, I think that just absolutely resonates in everything that you, that you do and say, uh, which, is, which is wonderful. I mean, we met back in, I think, 2006 when I joined First Choice as product not that long ago. I know, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, and I, one of the things that, you, that made me smile, actually, as you were talking was that conversation you had with Peter Long and he said to you, you know, I, I kind of like the look of you. Just come along for the <laughs> just come along for the ride, and we'll figure out what to do with you later. And that's pretty much an identical conversation that they had with didn't me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but the, but I guess what what the point there was that he saw potential in you, didn't he? He just he was. That, I, I think you know? it,
1: that he was definitely recruiting talent early. Yeah, because he could obviously he could see the opportunity. He, he knew. Uh, and he had so much confidence in what he could do and what the business could do at, at the time and what his team could do mm. uh, and to this day I, I still think that that team is one of the most powerful that i've ever ever worked with you know you worked hard but you, but you played hard and actually you shared in the on, in the in the rewards as well you know when, it, when when it happened and you stayed true to your roots yeah you know uh you didn't you you didn't turn up to any of those meetings as you well know yourself you know with like your facts and figures yeah and you, you had to know your stuff uh because you know you'd have been murdered if you hadn't if yeah you hadn't and it, but i mean it was a tremendous discipline in terms of how to run a successful business and i always remember um, ian club who was the chairman at the time and it was a they were a formidable pair pair and ian I remember him saying to me once, um, he said, Chris, he said, the opportunities that are going to come up in this business are phenomenal for those people who are willing to take on, take on the challenge. Um, and that was way before I took the, the airline job. And I never mean, i never forgotten. I thought, gosh, they certainly had a vision and a passion to, mm. for the business to, to succeed, you know, because they were the underdogs at the time, you know, in many respects. But no, it was a great schoolie.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. And one of the things that you mentioned, which really stuck out for me was a couple of things you said, actually, you, 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 there's maybe a bit of a theme here to pick up on. You said uh, way, back, way back with school, even passing your 11 plus and, you know, the comment from your dad and the comment from the teachers, as you know, about, about passing the 11 plus. I did 11 plus as well, ironically, so we've got a lot in common, but um, I'm going to show you was mm-hmm. what you said and, and yes. this sort of mm-hmm. idea of of no actually i can do this i can prove you wrong and you yes. know when you when you were also on the retail side in your earlier career and then you, you ended up taking your your boss's job a couple of years later so there's just this absolute grit um you know within you i think where, do you, where does that come from do you think that's from sort of you know, background family or
1: i i um get no real doubt about that at all um and i to this day i think i was really 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 young and i remember my father coming home with his weekly pay packet and handing the whole lot, you know to my mother in the in the kitchen and i remember thinking oh i would kind of like to have my own money i don't want to be beholden to any man you know to yeah. for 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 cash um and I thought, I think that's probably where it, where it all where it all started from you know yeah. um and I thought how hard it was to bring up seven seven kids you know in, in in a council house, you know with not much money, and I thought, oh and I suppose I just tried always wanted to know what was the other end, other side of the hill you know and 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 to get away you know? yeah. and and it was i mean it was Gosh, Northern Ireland has had its fair share of the, as, of the troubles during, during that time. And I, but I do remember one standing, uh, because uh, there was a, an awful lot of rioting that went on at the time as well. And I remember standing watching some something that had happened and um, thinking, I don't. I remember saying to my father at the time, I don't think I'll ever see peace in in my lifetime. And I was probably only 15, 16 at the time. You know, mm. um. And I thought, so then when, when it actually did happen, it, oh gosh, it, that, that was tremendous because I didn't actually think that the people could achieve it, but it just goes to show you, you know, yeah. what can be achieved if people truly want to do it. And of course, if you look at the, I think the history of, of how the troubles were, came, to, came to an end, they, took, they learned an awful lot from, from Mandela and, and from South Africa and uh, conflict resolution, you know. And my sister Anne, uh, she spent her lifetime trying to make uh to make things better for people who were who, who weren't as well off um so she was a tremendous inspiration to me because uh, again she was the first in our family to go to university so Anne would be would have been 10 years older than me i remember she used to write to me in spanish from the mines in south america because she worked for a company called miners international federation um, so when you think you know she used to say to me you think you know that things are tough in Northern Ireland. You want to be here. You want to be here down these mines with women who are given birth down the mines because they're too afraid to come above the mines because it was the, the famous the in the times mm-hmm. of you know Chile. And I thought, wow, we do not know how lucky we are really. So she was, um, she was, she was, she was some woman, as I said, she went to, she did Spanish. She went to university as well, but unlike me, she, uh, I went obviously into the business side, the commercial side, she went into, Trying to better the lives for people that she worked for, you know, for, for the people that were um, specifically in, in South America and to a certain extent in Africa, and uh, trying to to make their lives better and fight fight for justice, you know. Okay. So I suppose I can't take all the. I think uh, I can't take the credit. I think she had to give her an awful lot of credit for me having that fighting spirit. Well, uh, I, yeah, the right
0: type of fighting, by the way. You know? yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a, there's a few things that strike me in that. I mean, Anne sounds like she was an absolute phenomenal, yeah, inspirational yeah. woman that would, you know, just absolutely has obviously driven you on as well and kind yeah, of shown you, shown you, I guess the potential uh, as a woman, and how you can sort of take your talents and absolutely reach for the stars, and, and you can achieve anything you want. and Tremendous. How how important do you think role models are, Chris, for oh, and in particular for us as women in business? Fundamental, fundamental. I mean, you know, uh,
1: Anne was a great inspiration, you know, for me. And I suppose I do what sit back and wonder. I mean. The example, let me give you a very clear example that is pretty stark. At, at, at EasyJet, there was a huge, and there still is, a huge campaign to try to get more female pilots. Um, and a lot of the research that the team had done, I mean, it started before, before I joined, was like most, most boys who become pilots have decided by the age of 10 that they want to become a pilot. Most girls don't even consider it it doesn't come into their mindset even in in, in their teenagers because they do not think yeah. that it's an option for them at all so automatically so many opportunities and so many careers are just closed off because women are not even being not even considering it it's not even in in, in their thought process so um just started very early on at, at at the school stage you know, and a lot of the pilots a lot of the female pilots captains as well as. Give their personal time up to go to schools you know to make sure that, 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 that the children know that these opportunities are there so to have a strong role model and to just open kids and, and women's eyes to the potential of that's out there and that they can they can do it i think it's it's tremendous especially if you're not from a more privileged background you know mm-hmm. where you're not given you know the options that, that, that a lot of a lot of people have i think it's uh i think it's really fundamental yeah. really really strong And 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 don't
0: tell me. And don't tell me I can't do something. That really,
1: really riles me because I just do the opposite. Try and prove people.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and actually, I mean, you know, you've become a massive role model for for women in business. Well, you do know you do know about that. No, you're, just being, know, yeah. you're just being you're just bashful, but um, you know, which again is a, one of our traits, right? But um, yeah, I think role models and, and just showing girls and women the choices that are available to them is is so key. And and that yeah. initiative at EasyJet is is fantastic, isn't it? And is really actually making a massive it's difference. Making a difference. Absolutely, it's making a difference. yeah. So I think that I think you're absolutely right there. And and in terms of um, sort of education you you mentioned early on Chris how you saw your route out of kind of your early family situation being through the route of education and kind of recognizing that was your kind of ticket if you like has that been that sort of you know has that been a theme throughout your kind of career as well because obviously you know we can take a traditional approach can't we to education we go to school we do our you know we do our o levels as it was and then ua levels and then university and it's all quite sort of linear to education but then you get into the work environment i mean i think you're con- we're constantly learning um really. but how important has that been for you as you've sort of progressed your career have you had to sort of take on times when you've thought oh gosh i actually don't know what i'm doing here and i better better up <laughs> you know <laughs> most of the time <laughs> uh
1: i, I suppose I, I was told by someone a long time ago that uh i have a lifelong passion for for learning and mm. i to the, and i don't we never stop do mm. do you at all yeah. um so yeah education was specifically for, for me was 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 my way out at the time um but apart from that i do wonder i i do regret the fact that we haven't, as a country, done enough through the apprenticeship roles as well. Mm. I mean, to go to university is, is is brilliant if if that's for you, but it, I don't think necessarily has to be for for everyone, you know. Um, and one of the big things that I, I loved love when in in aviation was um, what I called some of the guys the unsung heroes was the engineering background. And again, hardly any hardly any women at all in 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 that field because again, it's not traditionally seen as something women would be involved in, but quite it was always quite keen to push for female apprentice engineers Mm -hmm. as well you know um so i just think you know especially when when you look the the beautiful thing about 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 aviation and and the roles that i've had is that it was so varied. you know you weren't doing one thing everything as i said from choosing the aircraft the airframe itself the hugely technical job of choosing the engines as well because that's the second biggest uh cost after after the aircraft itself right through so getting the technical spec right getting the cost not right right through to delivering the type of service that you know our our crew wanted to to get get a uh, deliver on board you know i'm making sure that every time that's that aircraft took off those seats those seats were full because once it's gone it's gone it's gone forever you know there wasn't uh there wasn't a day when the decisions and the th- things that you had to take into account were so many and and, and so varied. So hugely technical on one side and then massive customer service focus on on the other. So for me, it, it actually had, had everything from, you know, from a career point of view. Yeah. And, and, and then some of the times it's scary. That's like, you know, when, uh, uh, when there were issues, when there were technical problems, you know, with, with aircraft and, you know, you never ever really switched off. That's the downside of it because there's always an aircraft in the air, you know, in mm-hmm. fact, the 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 rise that I've had because even to this day I'm still addicted to the phone, because you know it was it was twenty four seven literally, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're always always aware of the huge responsibility of making sure that those well, easyJet literally I think it was over ninety million customers a year, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I think it was over 2,000 flights a day, about mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. quarter of a million on a to three hundred thousand on a, on a daily basis. Huge, huge uh, operation, but it's, great customer focus.
0: Yeah, and it's phenomenal. I mean, you have literally got people's lives in your hands, haven't you? I mean, let's face it. As you say, say safety has to be the absolute top priority. But when you're running a massive operation like that, Chris, I mean, we were talking. You know, you're talking about four billion of costs. You know, that you had under within EasyJet, and there's so many, you know, different aspects to the role. You know, so on the one hand, you've got the massive, big strategic choices to be making, and the sort of the big financial. Calls that you have to make right the way down to some very sort of minutiae of operational detail that can make all the difference between you know a life or death situation as well. As a leader, kind of how how have you managed to navigate through that sort of big picture versus the the detailed operational perspective of the responsibilities you've had?
1: I mean, any strong leader worth her salt will know when you have to dive into the detail and when you have to uh, step back. and I think I learned a long time ago uh, not to be afraid to employ people who are better than, than yourself, you know, but have the good grace then if they are good to let them get on with the job, and not to, not to interfere. Uh, no one to step in when you absolutely when you absolutely have to. Um, and I, I suppose I've always been quite instinctive in, in, many, in many respects, and always, and I hear it all the time, listen to your gut. But any time I haven't, I've regretted it. Um. So whatever it is that we've been given, as as specifically as women, I would say you know hone in on it uh, and, and and use it. And I think the other thing as well is I really appreciate working for companies where I w- I'm allowed to be myself. I you know you said earlier there are no airs and graces uh, uh, for me at all. I'm still at heart probably that we girl from from Stravan. Um And I think that's really important. I mean to to be authentic and, and leadership to me is almost. You know, instead of looking above and who's ahead, you should be looking behind and who's following you. Mm. Um, and I've always been tremendously lucky to have a tremendous fellowship. In fact, to this very day, when I am um, going back to the merger days, when I had to stand up, you know, people say to me, God, that's merging two airlines. I you us know, that's really seriously scary stuff. You know, what was the most terrifying part of it? And you know, the like, the most terrifying part for me wasn't you know what aircraft we're going to choose? What systems we're going to you know going to operate from? What you know IT platform? It was none of none of that. You know what safety systems? It wasn't that. It was standing up in front of the people in Manchester and telling them that the future was Luton because first choice yeah. was based in Manchester and, and Thompson was big based in Luton. Um, and I actually I actually broke down. I had tears in my eyes and I couldn't finish the conversation. You know, and I thought, and then I went back in the office and I went, oh. God, like, you know, you're so stupid. You're so weak. You know, you should be showing that. Do you know it was probably the best thing I ever did because it showed mm. to, my, to my people that I was in, involved as well and I was implicated and that I cared. And delighted to say that the, those who could move to, to Luton actually moved with me mm. and, and are still there to this day. You know, so um, that, was, that, was, that was powerful. That was really, really powerful. Because um, you can't do this in your own. Why would you yeah. want to?
0: No, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, there's, a, there's a few things in there, isn't there? I think one is, you know, this kind of idea of leadership. I mean, I always think he, I, the analogy I use, you must need to be like a helicopter. You kind of need to be hovering above and focusing on the, you know, the big picture, the strategy and all that. And then you need to leave your team to get on and do their jobs, but then you need to know when you need to land, absolutely. get involved, sort some stuff out, support absolutely. the team more practically, and then take off again, leave, away. Them, leave them to it. And I think that that kind of combination and that intuition as to when is it right for those two options um, is, is absolutely key. And yeah. the other thing that I think you've, you've touched on, which is a, a real kind of something for, for any woman in business to think about is and, and to sort of take note that, we are women, we do mm-hmm. think differently. We have emotions mm-hmm. we, and it, it's not about men or women being better or worse, but we are different and it's, it's okay different. to show if you're emotional or upset. And, and in that example you described, I can I can totally pitch you going back in the office and kind of kicking yourself, going, oh my God, I should have man up. You know, I could hear absolutely. you almost probably saying to yourself, yeah, but absolutely. actually, you know, having the sort of the retrospective view of that now as you say, the best thing you could possibly do because you care, and that's that's mm. what people want to see. Mm. They want to know that you care. Um, and it was always, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, it
1: was it wasn't a job? It was always more than a job to me. You know, yeah. it was always more than a career to me. You know, it was. um I used to pinch myself, kind of thinking, "Oh my god, you know, this I just love, absolutely love what I do." Uh, and I suppose a lot of people say this as well, but I love the people that I worked with. You know, and we're still we're still stay in touch, and we're still friends. You know, to this day, which which is tremendous. And I think you know, people say, you "What are you most proud of?" and stuff. And I, I they say, "Oh, it must be the merger." It'd be like being the first to fly the you know the Dreamliner. You know, all of that stuff. No, actually, I think I when I look back, I think I probably had the privilege of creating some of the best teams mm. in the business. Um. And I always remember people in the olden days said, "You don't have to like people to work with them. I think that's a pile of rubbish you know? um i and I used to say, "No, you know we need to be we're spending so much time here together. you know i I want us to be able to to get on you know and take I, t- I took people's technical skills for granted, so if you're an engineer and director one of my or you're my director of flight ops, then I expect you to be technically brilliant, of course, but I expected as much from the non-technical skills as well because mm-hmm. Over the years I, I have I did once inherit a, it wasn't a team it was a collection of individuals um, who didn't work together and that was the detriment to, to the detriment of the business so once you've seen that and then when you get a team that truly performs, then you know you can have stellar results yeah
0: and, and, like and in particular I mean a couple of the, the the pivotal points that you picked out in terms of sort of the history of travel, if you like you know Gulf War nine eleven obviously right now we 're going through a very difficult time as well, but you know just just in terms of those those times and and at, when you're in a a kind of an emergency situation like that um, it is the team isn't it it's, it's, it's your team because you at the end of the day we 're all just one one person is only 24 hours in a day. And I think having that power team that you, where you like respect, trust each other imp- implicitly in particular and, and have in aviation fun. and enjoy it. Yeah. Have a and laugh have along fun. the way. <laughs> I used to have a saying, I used to be saying that
1: fun is a necessity, not a luxury, you know, yeah.
0: Yeah, 100%. And life's too short, isn't it? I mean, I I don't know if if we kind of get this a little bit more as you get a bit older, but certainly, you know, when I look back, I think I've been really privileged because I've really enjoyed every single role I've had. I've genuinely I mean, of course, you have highs and lows, but genuinely... Really love the teams, really love the work I've done. Um, And I think you're exactly the same because if that stops, and and I guess that was one of your decisions to leave Tui, you know, you knew when the time was right. You knew instinctively that it didn't have that same feeling for you. So it was time for you to go and move on. But, you know, life is too short, isn't it? Um, And so many many people spend time in their roles and they just can't stand what they do. And you just think, gosh, why bother? no point. No. No, no, never. Point. I mean, no. Absolutely. And, you know, um, obviously, we've both spent most of our careers in the corporate world. And But I'm quite fascinated about this sort of interplay between corporate and entrepreneurial, because I think sometimes if we are in an entrepreneurial small business, you tend to look at corporate and in particular something like an airline like you've, you know, you've led as being very corporate and there isn't entrepreneurialism within that now i know and i think you know as well that's not the case because even in a massive corporate organization with you know tens of thousands of people and billions of revenue entrepreneurialism is still there in in absolute bucket loads isn't it so I I don't know are the kind of times that stick out for you when you when you've had to be really entrepreneurial there's probably loads of them but I think that'd be quite an interesting angle just to pick up I
1: think you know I think one of the things that uh, that struck me when I when I joined uh, EasyJet was for such a big airline it felt very small right and actually that to me was the n- the nub of the great culture that the organization had, you know. And I'm gonna I just pinch myself and gosh, gosh! In a very short period of time, I know an awful lot of people, you know. I know an awful lot of the crew, even though there were like you know hundreds of of, of bases and thousands of, of 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 crew. We got to know each other really, really quickly, and I think that that was fabulous. But the key for any organizations, as it was for EasyJet, was when it was facing such stellar growth how do you professionalize the organization without losing that core orange spirit that was so fundamental in the success of the airline you know way way back in 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 the 90s when it when it first established itself and that that's a challenge for any any business you know growing growing but growing up Mm. at, at the same time yeah and uh i think it's it's proven um in a lot of businesses, I think, that have such tremendous stellar growth that sometimes you have to stop to take stock, you know, to change the way that you do things, to change those processes, procedures, and those, and those systems to allow the business to, to grow further. Because if you don't, then that very complexity that, you're, that you've built into the business prevents that future growth. Uh, I think it's a, it, it's well known. So it's really, really important at that right time to take stock you know, and and to, and, to, and to do that, um, and it's challenging. But uh, if you don't, then you will stunt the future growth of the business. Yeah, yeah. No, that's
0: great. That's great advice, actually, for any any business that that kind of crossroads. Because um, it's getting that timing right and knowing yeah. when it is time to do it. And I think
1: that's why it's always important to have a healthy mix of people who've been there a long time with it, that has got all that great her- heritage mm. and experience, but that fresh blood mm. to come in as well. Um, because you do need that healthy challenge because otherwise it's like Einstein's definition of insanity isn't it you keep on doing the same thing and expect a different result you know and I've seen that in business many of the time where someone comes in and going like why are you doing it and it's like no because we've always done it that way and I'm going no no no, no. there are better ways of of, of doing things
0: yeah. yeah sometimes you only know what you know don't you um in that situation and so so Chris for someone that's kind of hearing listening to this and they're they're hearing about your amazing career and how you've just seems to have just continued to excel and get promoted and take on bigger responsibilities and move and just coming across so confident and and kind of you know or just just make in, me blush? Conjo- no, it's true. It's true. So, yeah. So anyone that's looking at your career, Chris, will have seen you progress and get promoted and take on bigger responsibilities, et cetera. And, you know, but I guess people don't always see what goes on behind the scenes and, you know, some of the difficulties and the struggles along the way and things that didn't go quite so well. Can you think of, can you pick up any examples where you kind of, not failures as such, because I never like to think of them as failures. I like to think of them as learnings. That, but mm. it didn't all go your way and you know you, you actually had, had to kind of bounce back and recover from from some knockbacks
1: gosh there's probably loads that, but i can't <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling to to come up with any, any at uh, at the minute what would have been I, I, I suppose while i'm trying to think of more specifics I, I, looking back um i wish i hadn't had so much self-doubt mm. you know i wish i hadn't you know said oh my word you know are you good enough to do this? Because as suppose well, deep down inside, I always thought, oh, gosh, I'm not so sure that I'm, I'm, I'm up for this or I'm, I'm good enough for this particular job, you know? And I could kick myself now, you know, just, just get on with it and do it and, and, and trust, trust in yourself. Um, and I remember um, there was one guy that I wanted to promote him. I wanted to give him the job that his boss had because his boss wasn't, wasn't good enough for, in, in my respect. And he turned around and said to me, he said, Chris, he said, Chris, he said you know, uh, you have more faith in me than I have in myself. And I said, well, just trust me then, remember. And then of course, then he went on you know, to do greater and, and better things. So I'm trying to think when the things There were times um, when we took a lot of the, the praise for, um, you know, the great deal that we did on buying the, the Dreamliner, if I think back in it and of course the commercial advantage of being first way back then was was tremendous because you know we did we did a bit of a crack, cracking bit of shopping i'd like i'd like to say um <laughs> and, but then you know when you saw the problems that were emerging and the fact that it was so critical you know to the business and so fundamental for the future success of the organization there were times when that, you know i was holding my head in my hands thinking wow is this, is this the right, the right call? Because it was such a big, big decision for the business way, you know, way back then. Um, and I do remember Dermot, my boss at the time, and this is like previous uh, to it, when all the delays were happening, um, I can't say what he said because it would be, it would be a bit rude, <laughs> you can imagine. And he goes, he just put the foot, he's like, just, just call me when the, thing, when the thing's here, right? And um, there was that, for me, there was that just tremendous sense of, of disappointment, you know, of letting my colleagues down, of potentially letting customers down, you know, because we had like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people to take on holiday and I had no aircraft. You know? And I'm like, wow, wh- how are we going to come, come through this? But again, it was like, you know, pulling together. It was working with suppliers. It was, you know, being frank and open with customers and getting that team together and say, right. How are we going to get ourselves through this? Um, and I still remember the plans and the projects that, you know, that, we, that we ran to this day. And we really pulled it off. We really completed it. You know? So we extended yeah. the, the, the life of the aircraft. Uh, we didn't fall out with the Boeing company at the time because there was no point, I think, in, in, in fighting. Yeah. Um, and we find a way through it together. And of course, the rest is, it, it is now history. But, you know, there was a trem- I felt a tremendous sense of responsibility um to make sure that we delivered on what we were promising both to to our, the organization and, and indeed and indeed to our customers but no it wasn't it wasn't pleasant i also remember i was the first in the world to choose the gen x engine the ge engine for the for the aircraft um again a huge decision but i was the only one for 10 months in the entire aviation world that had chosen this particular engine everyone else had chosen the rolls royce engine and um and in fact, everyone expected us to choose the Rolls Royce engine at all because it was two British, British companies. And, uh, we didn't, we went for the, for the Gen X and that was really risky at the time, right? Because it was brand new technology. And in fact, we were, we were doing the matrix of, you know, uh, scoring the, the effectiveness of both aircraft both engines. I remember saying to my boys, to the engineers, I said, look, just choose me the best engine. I don't care about the price at the minute. And of course they both came out pretty much, you know, one was as good as the other. It was six of one, and half a of dozen of the other, and um, I said, "Fine." And then now, now it's a commercial date. If it's once the safety angle is is it, covered, and we were lucky enough at the time that um, I think GE had just lost it. Uh, it was either ANA or Japan Airlines. It was one of those particular airlines, uh, and they fully expected to win it. They were, I think, again that touch of arrogance was coming in mm-hmm. to certain suppliers, and they didn't. So we were the next in line to choose. So the deal I got was, to this day, I can't believe how good a deal it was. I hope nobody from GE is, is seeing this <laughs> actually, because they'll, they'll probably never speak to me again. Um, oh. But to be on your own then for 10 months. I remember I used to ring ring up the Tom in, in, in Cincinnati, and I'd say, Tom, is there any other airline that's going to buy one of these things? I said, because I am now seriously concerned that we're potentially going to be the only airline you know, in the world, and this is this, stuck in, in, in Manchester using this and and of course the rest is history they they ended up with more than 60 percent of market share and you know again a fantastically fantastically efficient you know engine for the aircraft but those were those were quite quite lonely times and it was my engineering director he goes chris we've got a problem and i went oh my heart sank and because the other thing as well is we've i mean most airlines will have this but if if there's any diversion any issue on an aircraft at all my phone would would ping a text message an alert Mm -hmm. message So um, the very same aircraft that I had stepped off two days before had a technical problem, right? Just off the west coast of Ireland. And uh, without boring you with all the technical details, it was our return from airborne, okay? So all of these fantastic people that boarded in Manchester, all the looking forward to their holiday in Florida, got just west of Ireland and had, had to turn back. And I'm going like, uh no and i thought okay right what are we gonna do and of course the thing i was watching it on ipod on my ipad you know watching the aircraft um the great thing about it as well talk. Okay. Really so talking.
0: so chris obviously i mean just so many great examples of you having to kind of take risks pivots you know deal with difficult situations and and just really that resilience um of just kind of keep going even if things aren't going your way um has that always been in you do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think um, I probably didn't realize it, but a lot of it comes from, from your upbringing and, and, and mm-hmm. your background, you know. And I think if there's definitely one thing that growing up in Northern Ireland t- taught me was, you know, you, you don't give up. You always fight. But when I say fight, I mean that in the pure, not in the purest sense of the word, but like <laughs> you do learn to fight for what's right. Yeah. and that, that has to be that has to be life itself. it has to be you know a tremendous feeling of what' what you should and what you shouldn't do uh, right and wrong and, uh, and, and that element of, of moral justice because when you do see things front you know at, at, at you know firsthand um, of people you know being shot of people you know not being given the rights to do the things that, you know, any normal person should be, it leaves a very lasting impression on you. Um, and, and, and so much so actually that I, I one of the things that I'm really lucky to be able to do is um, in mem- in my sister's memory, uh, she, as I told you, she went to Queen's as well, but they do a fantastic course, postgraduate course on conflict resolution to help. So people now go to Northern Ireland to find out how, how, the troubles were, were mm. solved or sorted there so i thought well, what a tremendous thing to do and in her name so it's in honor of Anne that i sponsor a graduate every year for at, at queen's university of belfast in conflict resolution you know because at the end of the day i don't think there's any any point in fighting at all um mm. i say i can, you can see the damage that it does you know and in fact it's something i brought into this is going to sound quite Quite, quite funny, but I brought into union negotiations because that's one of the challenging parts of, of aviation. It's a very highly unionized industry. And I remember once saying, uh, listen, boys, if uh, Ian Paisley and uh, and Martin McGuinness can kiss and make up, I'm sure we can find a pay deal in all of this, you know. Um, so uh, I suppose the other thing as well is, say, you know, we've always had, I think, the Irish especially, have got a tremendous sense of humor. And I've never, ever, uh, hopefully never lost that and used it for maybe a wee bit too much at, at, <laughs> at times, but it certainly helps to diffuse the situation when when you know when negotiations get tough. because yeah. you can always find a way through. You can nearly always find, find a way through, yeah. which is why I feel for people in the current climate because this is, whilst I've faced a lot of challenges and a lot of difficulties, I don't think anyone has ever faced anything like the current, the current mm. climate. And of course, aviation has been devastated by what's happening.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No it is hard to think of the I hate to think of the
1: job losses that are that will you know that will happen as a result.
0: Mm, no, it really I, think is tough. I think you're right. I think you're right. And 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 for you Chris in terms of kind of you know the whole mindset piece and, you know, you've touched a little bit on, you know, imposter syndrome, or you didn't call it that, but I think we we have that, you know, I think we, it's, it's a common thing, isn't it? With men and women, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And just those voices in your head sometimes saying you're not good enough and, you, oh, God, you know, you don't know what you're doing and you don't fit in and all of that. How have you, How what kind of tools have you managed to put in play to sort of quiet those voices and still get on with it, almost despite them, if you like? Uh, yeah, I... Sometimes I do, I've had to have a good chat to
1: myself, Mm. you know, Um, and I always remember that every time I've taken on a job that I thought was probably too big for me, I was always nervous. I was always, my knees were knocking, I was always like, oh, full of the the self-doubt. But then I always remember, come on, the famous saying, better to have tried and failed than never to have tried at all. And I always come back to that and say, right, okay, what's the worst that, 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 that's going to happen? I also have a, a pathological fear of failure. I mean, I just, you know, don't, don't, don't do it, you know? Um, so I, that's, I, that's what I always come back to, you know, I go on, give it a go. What, seriously, what have you got to lose? And fundamentally, though, I always remember that where I've come from, my roots, and think, well, am going to be second, you've achieved more than you ever dreamt possible, you know, as a, as a wee girl growing up in in Northern Ireland. So what have you got to complain about? Just get on with it, you know? Yeah. 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 But I think it's also important to work with, as I said earlier, to find the right, the right organization, the right culture, the people that you actually do respect Mm -hmm. that you want to work, work with and, and for that to me is, is, uh, that's more important than the money to me actually always has been.
0: Yeah, and I think one thing that that sort of shines as you're talking, Chris, is this sort of idea of fairness, mm-hmm. you know, and and mm-hmm. and I think that's something mm-hmm. quite deep rooted yeah. in well, you I'm as good. well. Um, Honestly, it really, really is. I if if something
1: is unfair, I I I feel it so strongly, and I have to call it out. You know, yeah. so much that's ridiculous. Sometimes I can't watch films. Yeah, you know? if it's so unfair, if it's so unjust, I. I know, thinking, "Oh gosh, this is this is just so wrong," uh, which is ridiculous, really, when you when you think about it. But again, that'll that'll be that that that's your upbringing, and I suppose there are worse things to be, you know, to, to be passionate about, aren't they? I yeah. no, oh,
0: yeah. oh, fairness absolutely. is
1: really, yeah, and giving everybody a fair shot of things is really is
0: really important to me. Yeah, absolutely. So when you got your OBE, then Chris, <laughs> in 2000, oh, it, 2013, how talk us through how that kind of came about and the sort of lead up to it and when you got the news and just the whole experience because i mean that is phenomenal and you know, it was incredible i still to this day you know
1: don't believe that it actually happened but it's really funny because i you know i worked down in london early monday to friday so i flew down the monday morning back at the at the weekends and alistair he, he, i hit in the post and stuff like that so he, he did it all so he said, oh, there, you know, came flew up Friday night. He goes, oh, there's, there's your post. I said, is there anything important? And then he says, oh, just, just have a look. And I, I looked at this and I thought, oh God, I thought that looks very official. And I thought, if I have another parking ticket or another parking <laughs> fine, because I had two in a row, right, for driving in a bus lane or something. And I'm, I didn't even realize I was doing it. And I thought, oh, not, not another fine. I haven't done another stupid, you know, thing. And I looked and it was like, on behalf of Her Majesty the Queen. And I'm going like, I looked at this bit of paper, and I'm in there. And I thought, oh, I thought, that looks quite official, you know, this looks, I thought this is a wind-up. And I thought, no, this, it does look as if it's, you know, if it, it's it, it's the real thing. And I thought, well, hang on a second. I'm married to a printer. I wonder if it's him, you know, having a laugh. Um, and I looked, and I just sat at the bottom of the stairs, and I just giggled. I just laughed. I went, oh my god, seriously? and it turned out obviously that that, you know it was it was true and then of course you can't tell anyone you know so I couldn't tell my boss I couldn't tell Dermot I couldn't tell a single soul because you know you're supposed to leave it until the actual announcement which was new year's day I think it was yeah it was new year's honors list so you you find out a few months beforehand so I was kind of beside myself thinking I wanted to tell everybody (laughs) you know um and then of course it, it 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 came out on New Year's Day and we'd been in, we were in Cape Town actually we were in holiday uh and uh i it, it was just i mean can you imagine the calls and the comments and it was just absolutely fantastic and then on the day itself, I went to Holyrood in, in Edinburgh because the queen always does that not the, no disrespect to any other members of the royal family but it was, <laughs> it was it was it was her that i wanted that I wanted to meet and of course, the pomp and the circumstances' it's just it's just tremendous so I had myself. My husband, my sister, and my and, and my brother, uh, all all suited and booted, you know, and and, and went there. And uh, you know, you're, you're queuing up. And um, I remember as well, uh, the orchestra started playing "Danny Boy." Well, I nearly lost it because that was my father's name, right? Aww. And I thought, oh, right, right. And people all around us were very nervous, and they were saying to me, "Are you not nervous?" I said, "No, not at all." I thought I felt like saying, you know, when you run an airline, that's kind of can make you nervous this is just a fantastic day out a real treat so then as you're standing there you're told how to curtsy, what to do and so on and so forth and the master ceremonies was to my left and he comes over he goes like this to me and i went okay he goes he said no i need a word uh to pick with you and i went oh well he goes you're smiling too much And I wanted to give him a good punch, but I thought I better not because the Queen was over there. And then, <laughs> you know, you met her. And uh, she was absolutely lovely, you know. And uh, she was, oh gosh, and if we were talking about, I said, oh gosh, woman in aviation, that's a really, really tough job. And I felt like saying, but it's always better when there's a woman in charge. Isn't it? But yeah. I didn't, She was just lovely. And uh, it was great. It was a real, real honor. And I don't know how I got it or who nominated me for it. You just don't find that out because it's, it's all, it's all anonymous, you know, but, um, whoever they are, I just say, you know, th- thanks me and It was a very, very special day.
0: Oh, and honestly, really and such a such an uh, an amazing inspiration for every for anyone that kind of knows nice. you, and and mm-hmm. just such a, a well you couldn't have, you couldn't you couldn't have gone to someone more well deserving. And uh, oh, thank and you, just, honestly, phenomenal. It's so I, I yeah. Still, don't think I was I was still doing a job, and I was I was just doing a, a job I love. But when you get that big external recognition, like yeah, you
1: know, camp it was was uh, pretty cool.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, but that's that's the joy and magic of you, Chris. You know, you just got to buy a new outfit and new shoes. <laughs> excellent excellent oh, honestly it's been fantastic so just uh, in terms of a couple of um final questions if i may chris so what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given
1: oh my god i don't really like oh my word i should have thought about this the best piece of advice don't know. come back you know come back to
0: that one of course you can of course. You What's can. the
1: best piece of advice you've ever been given?
0: Um, I probably from my dad. I would say, um, treat people as you'd like to be treated yourself. Yeah, I think that's probably one uh, of the things that is, stayed with me actually through everything I've done in, in life. In
1: fact, yeah, my father said the same thing. My father said the same thing to me. He said, uh, it was a Rabbi Burns quote, wasn't it? A wish to God, what was it something? To, a wish to God see yourselves, see yourselves as others see us. Yeah, something along the something like I can't, I can't remember. I should remember." Yeah. Wish to God the gift to get to see ourselves as others as others say us.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know, I suppose the other thing as well is you know, probably what a lot of people have been told. You know, hope for the best, prepare for the worst, and take what take what comes. Yeah. Especially in these current climates.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, so if you were gonna okay. give in a piece of advice, Chris, to, to someone else sort of in their career who wants to really progress, and what would be the, the sort of the, the single bit of advice you would give them?
1: Aim as high as you possibly can. Mm. Because if you really want to do it, you can do it. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: But make sure you choose a company where you fit in, where culturally it's right for you. And you're allowed to be yourself.
0: Fantastic. Oh, Chris, you have been absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much.